Hello, hi, and welcome to a fairly queer podcast. That's a podcast where two, oh, wait, excuse me, three fairies <gasps> discuss fairly topics that are clearly queer and queerly clear. Jeremy, how are you today? I'm well, and it's so exciting that you mentioned that we indeed do have an extra. Now, Liam, have you ever identified as a, a fairy in one way or another, mythologically, or perhaps an extra sparkly creature who some people feel confused by, but you nonetheless hold your ground? Oh, absolutely. I don't know if you guys know, but I actually call my subscribers and followers fairies. Yes. because. <gasps> Yeah, I actually do. And I've been doing that ever since I started YouTube because I just love like the fairy aesthetic. Not only that, but also it's like one of those things where it's like people say it as an insult, but I don't understand why it's an insult. Like fairies are cool. Yes. Yeah. So like, for our, oh, so sorry, I didn't mean to cut no, you no, off. No, no, sorry. You go ahead. You go ahead. Sorry. Um, I just wanted to say for our listeners who aren't familiar, this is uh, Liam McAvoy joining us for today's podcast. He is a YouTuber with over 100,000 subscribers, known for his comedic and extremely well-edited, if I do say so myself, uh, beauty uh, videos, uh, self-proclaimed beauty influenza. Pew, pew, pew. (laughs) Pew, pew, pew. Um, And he's recently gained uh, a lot of notoriety for some videos that he did on Jeffree Star, as well as the idea of cancel culture as a whole, which is why we were really interested in having you on today for our second segment on cancel culture. So how's that sound? (laughs) Perfect, perfect. Do you have anything that you'd like to say about yourself before we jump in? Um, not not really. Um, I'm kind of a boring person. I'm just kind of doing whatever, answering whatever questions, trying to make a positive difference on the platform, uh, trying to drain the swamp, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I'm just here for. Yeah, Lovely. definitely. Being, I'm, I'm fairly, I'm fairly familiar with um, fairly. the beauty community. I've watched your videos far before you made your expose video on Jeffree Star, actually. I think I've been watching you since you had like 20,000 subscribers. Oh, thank you for staying with me. Yeah, absolutely. You're very entertaining. I always look forward to when your videos come out. But yeah, like it's sort of crazy what's going on right now with the beauty community. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's certainly gained a reputation. Uh, And I would like to know a little bit about what inspired you to make uh, your initial expose video on Jeffree Star and then going into your second video on sort of the anthropological nature of cancel culture. Okay, so, you know, when you kind of do... I don't want to say networking, but when you are beginning to get involved a little bit more like personally with influencers and with the beauty industry and whatever, I hate saying like, oh, behind closed doors, behind the scenes, because that's what everyone says. But like, realistically, like any little community or industry, there's always going to be a little gossip grapevine. And, you know, that's something you don't really share. Like that's something your viewers don't really hear about. But when you are involved in it, you do hear like little gossip and little things. And the things I heard on the grapevine were like, always about a certain someone um and it was always kind of like wow like if this is true and if like these are like with um I don't know if you guys saw the video by a person named Glow Daddy um basically Glow Daddy was one of the POC influencers he's a black boy in beauty Mm -hmm. um he was 
on the Jeffree Star Concealer campaign. And that was the first um, product that Jeffree Star Cosmetics launched that needed a shade range. And they kind of, their campaign was very inclusive, which is amazing. Um, But he made a video recently and said that after that campaign, pretty much they did a huge PR wipe where it was targeting black influencers. So they basically removed all of the people from the list and cut ties with all these black influencers. If I'm being honest, I knew that that had happened months before he made a video about it. Because, But I couldn't say anything about it because it was a rumor. But it's a rumor that's now confirmed. But watching that video, it's not new information to me. It's confirmation. And there's like a lot of other things you hear about where it's like, wow, this is kind of like fucked up. Like there is absolutely zero accountability and zero transparency going on here. So my first video, it wasn't really an attempt as much to target Jeffree Star, but it was an attempt to kind of show people and empower the viewer in a way where it's like, if y'all think something is going on, I can tell you from an insider perspective it is, but we need to get to a point where we can talk about it. And, you know, this discussion isn't immediately shut down by the, you know, the Jeffree Star stands and all these people, you know? Yeah, no, I I agree. And I, that's sort of, I think, a struggle that a lot of people have when confronting um, cancel culture, which I'd be interested in knowing, and I'm sure Jeremy as well, uh, about what your perspective is on how uh, there can be balance. One thing that concerns me a lot with canceled culture is that there are these people that are like high up on the pyramid, so to speak, the highest on the food chain. And because they're so rich and powerful and have so much influence, they're often untouchable. So it's been my experience with a lot of cancellations or people being labeled problematic, as you mentioned in your video, that it sort of trickles down to the people that are more accessible. So how do we keep these people accountable while um, not allowing it sort of to spread like wildfire to to, um, smaller offenders, I guess I would say? Mm Mm-hmm. I definitely feel like like the the word I think about often is dramageddons. I feel like it's this whole like I think of it almost like a schism or like a split in the beauty community in a way because every time there's a dramageddon there's always two teams and like those two teams kind of like settle into their own niches until there's another dramageddon and then things get scrambled again. But right. how I feel is we need to have an informed discussion about things but we have to be very careful not to allow it to become a witch hunt because if we fall into that kind of niche of just witch hunt and not letting people speak, that's, that's a little bit unhealthy. And as well, people like Jeffree Star could use that to their advantage and say, Oh, people are bullying me. People are doing this. And it's a way of, it's a, it's a way of almost red herring to skit around the argument because he will often say like, I don't want to talk about it, but in reality, it's kind of a distraction or an appeal to pity in a way. That's the term, that's the logical fallacy term you would use. Mm. Um, I definitely feel like people in these dramageddons, we need to approach things as if it's like almost like a real courtroom in a way. Like it's anything you say can and will be used against you and it's innocent until proven guilty. But the thing is, is with these dramageddons, the allegations come out and they're always really damning. And typically they start because of proof. So it, it is innocent until proven guilty, but when the drama getting starts, it starts because you're kind of beginning to be proven guilty. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, Jeremy, I know that you have had ex- some experience with, um, because you are close to some large public figures with cancel culture. 
Um, do you have anything that you'd like to ask in terms of like the sort of topic or narrative of like how we sort of control the fire, so to speak? Um, well, I think uh, to open is that it was very concerning exactly what Liam is talking about, that we want folks to have accountability. But um, for, you know, to, to, to just... Um, to just put the ring light on on Liam, you know, it's it's like it would be harsh for people to come after your brand of comedy because in watching your video, some people could find it harsh. And so if people don't get that you're a beauty influenza, that you are that your brand of comedy is meant to be sharper, pointed, that there's a whole subtext right, that people can or choose to read into about every time you make a comment about the way you look or a way about the fallout, the fallout that happens in one of those tones of a wet and wild palette can somehow just go like brilliantly into um, a fallout from some sort of drama get in, in, in the beauty industry or about someone who acts the fool in pop culture. That's the way my brain works. So maybe the question is, I want to start like a little more biographical, if you don't mind, Liam. Mm -hmm. Like, have you have you been shamed or guilted or taken to task for maybe having like um, for having a, your humor or your tone offending people? Um, I think the biggest thing when I was starting YouTube was actually people accused me of copying people. Um, the biggest comment I got like literally one out of every 10 comments would be, oh, this is an Antonio Garza clone and stuff like that. That that would be the most pointed thing. And I do get some comments criticizing, why would you bring this up? That's old drama. But yeah. the thing is, is, you know, it, 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 it's, it's old drama, but I feel like it happened on the public space of the internet and I was a spectator. So to act as if it didn't happen is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like making a joke about something is different than progressing a narrative. Mm -hmm. One thing I actually do find interesting since we're on the topic of like um, backlash uh, mm -hmm. about people, like for example, Jeremy, you not, might not be familiar with this, but Liam certainly is, is Toddy Westbrook, uh, a YouTuber who was involved in drama with Jeffree Star, recently came out with her own sort of expose video about how she was manipulated. And honestly, I was surprised by the reaction, because it seems like a lot of YouTubers or people in the quote unquote drama community have been very supportive of Toddy Westbrook's video. But if you scroll through like her Instagram or her YouTube, it's all negative. And it just shows the power that these um, YouTubers uh, like Jeffree Star and Shane Dawson have over their fan base, which you've talked a lot about how these people are immune to cancellation. So uh, I have two questions. One, mm -hmm. have you received backlash from those fan bases from your videos? Because I've seen mostly positive feedback for years. And also, while we're on the topic of Tati Westbrook, since that did happen quite recently, I would like to know if you personally feel like a lot of the backlash she's receiving is veiled sexism. Because I have a hard time 
viewing a lot of the comments, which are a lot of them are ageist, and a lot of them are about how, oh my goodness, this 40-year-old woman is acting this way, or like she shouldn't be able to be manipulated. And it is a little bit concerning to me that these male beauty influencers seem to have immunity when uh, this uh, woman is so much more easily uh, sort of thrown under the bus. And I would love your perspective on um, maybe gender dynamics in terms of cancellation as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what uh what was the first question again and we oh have you received um have you received similar backlash for making your videos as tati westbrook so i feel like the backlash i've received for those videos is a little bit minimal but it's still extremely harsh because the diehard supporters will kind of do anything to kind of say something negative in hopes to kind of invalidate your opinion or damage your credibility. So I've gotten comments calling me things like a cow. I had one person saying, oh, you say you're an Asian, but you're a Mexican lying to yourself. I I get you get the weirdest comments and it's so harsh. And it's like, I feel like the way the video was structured and I feel like that's why my video was targeted for the copyright takedown strikes from Jeffree Star's legal team is because the way they're structured, I don't want to say they're immune to all that little petty criticism, but I presented everything in a way where it was very kind of... It was an information piece. It wasn't an opinion piece, which I thought was the strength of it. Mm -hmm. And exactly, that's why the the stands, if you will, that's why they resort to calling me all these things. And if they don't, they kind of just dislike the video and leave because the same people that do that are the same people that would like filter words on Twitter, for example. It's like they can't pick apart my intentions because my intentions, I kind of clearly stated them at the beginning of the video. But, you know, also I noticed this thing that I think it's called a, a blowfish technique or a blowfish fallacy. It's basically finding one little inconsistency, like nitpicking and blowing that out of proportion to distract from the topic. So it's basically saying, oh, the way you said this word seems very pointed. You need to calm down to distract from the piece as a whole. And, you know, I uh, one instance I can think about is in the first video, I said, it's strange why he would feel the need if he, it's strange he feels the need to lie about drinking alcohol when most people have tried alcohol before. It's not like a, it's not like a big deal. One person in the comments was like, oh, I've never tried alcohol and people who come from Islam don't drink alcohol. You know, that's still true, but Jeffrey's not from, do you see how like that's kind of nitpicking and distracting from the overall point? That's called a blowfish fallacy. I think that's what it's called. And the second question about the misogyny, this is something I kind of think to myself a while. And I think it, I'm, I'm sorry. It's something I think to myself. It's something I've been thinking to myself for a while. Sorry, my grammar's going off, but, um, I think the beauty community, the reason why so many men are dominant is if you were to like walk out of your house and go to the mall, you see tons of girls wearing makeup. You go to Sephora, it's pretty much all girls in makeup. When's the last time you've left your house and have actually seen a boy in makeup just walking around? You know, you can go. Well, if I have a mirror. Exactly, right? Um, You know, it's probably been months since I've seen a boy in makeup at a non-LGBT or makeup-related event. Like, you just don't see those people in everyday life. And I feel like part of the internet is a spectacle. You know, people want to see something they don't see every day. They want that kind of attractive factor. And I feel like there's this weird stigma where in the beauty community, boys in makeup are seen as more 
I don't want to say more desirable, but they catch more eyes because you don't see that every a day. A novelty, like yeah. a full-blown ca- capitalist new trend novelty. Exactly. Kind of, and I don't mean to interrupt you at all. You have such good points, Liam. But it's like the weird gender thing is like in the beauty industry. And I, I think I'll be taking maybe a larger a larger view here because Sam mm-hmm. is so good at these specific questions. But that when we're talking about this this grand alliance Hopefully this this really powerful grand alliance between queer folk of all genders and then like cis, het, flexible uh, young women of a certain demographic range who are powerful. Um, but I but I will say they can be very fluctuating fan bases. Mm-hmm. Right. Because because capitalism has taught us to go with whoever's shinier or whoever's more pointed. And that's what I love about your videos is that you're constantly relaying like reality TV things, whether it's comical or it's comical because it's terrible because of the state of you know, what television and the way people behave towards each other are, and I'm speaking as a fully adulting queer here, you Mm -hmm. know, it's like putting those things into perspective is really important. So the weird gender dynamics of, like, the novelty of queers and even non-queer identifying male-bodied folks in makeup, but with with such a... delicate alliance right that could totally go up in flames is oh i don't like i don't like that fag he's bitchy well are you being bitchy too girl right or just mm-hmm. like or just again the spectacle which is so important a point that you're making it's like when i was typing to you before it's like i don't know which is more the, st- the stranger things upside down right is it the internet or is is it the weird the weird um like semi desert of quarantine uh slash political big fucking issues that we're going through in 2020 so mm-hmm. i i really appreciate the way that the way that you're going at this because there were big there were big um balances when you're talking about one thing just in the beauty industry it can really go for some other oh yeah really big topics at the end of the day we wash our makeup off and we're human beings and queers and people of color and and mixed origins and we want to try to get better at understanding each other beauty can be a community but could also be this awful circus so i hope i Mm -hmm. haven't gotten you too off of your questions. I'm sorry for interrupting, but oh, I just no, wanted worry, to like, uplift uplift that point because you're really you're really trying to make a case within your community of beauty that has bigger ramifications for um, activism and politics. Right? You you're like in the beauty world. We want to put our money into people not only mm-hmm. whose products are excellent, but who are not um, these monstrous typical Trump style corporate entities that are trying to take you down, which I'm not making it to, uh, maybe I am, which sounds like the, there's sort of a mini metaphor with Jeffree Star kind of having some shit in his past. Then mm-hmm. now they, they have legal teams because they have money, they have power, they have privilege, and you're just a, you're just a local girl, beauty influenza, who mm-hmm. like, <laughs> right, is just a regular girl. Mm-hmm. They're such a regular girl, but also... You know, so that's yeah. my response. So maybe you have some other important, like, things that are important for you for the work you're doing on these. The community needs to come right with her her mm-hmm. eternal majesty, which is just, like, 
the community of beauty, the community of self-expression. Mm-hmm. I definitely feel like the reason why there's a lot of misogyny in the beauty community is because the fact that there's LGBT figureheads in it, I feel like if you notice, I don't, I noticed this one thing. A lot of the people that continue to support Jeffree Star at this point who don't acknowledge the fact that there are other better boys in beauty you can support and elevate, mm-hmm. I think if you look at who they are, most of the time they're like middle-aged white women from the Midwest. So why I think that is, is because when you come from an extremely, like, lacking diversity, conservative white community, there probably aren't people like Jeffree Star there. So the reason why they're so loyal and diehard for a person they've never met is kind of, I think of it almost like that gay best friend energy. Jeffree Star could very well be so many people's first gay experience. Mm. And it's like, it's the same reason why people, like, all these, like, straight white girls, they cling to like LGBT media icons, even though they probably never had a gay best friend before. It's because they yearn for that and they want to know more about it. But potentially with the Jeffree Star thing, you get this kind of blindly loyal toxicity because they've never been exposed to the community as a whole. And I feel like it's not only with Jeffree Star, it's also with boys in beauty. It's kind of like this, that energy of a gay best friend, like that fixation of wanting wanting to connect with this person because you've never seen someone like that before. Yeah, and the novelty of it as well, sort of exactly having that be part of your your sort of your world, I think is very important to people that don't feel like they have access, which is kind of a strange thing to think about as a queer person myself of, you know, it's mm-hmm. been a while, at least since high school, where I've felt like a tchotchke. But no, I, I absolutely agree with you on that one. Um, to pivot for a second, if we Mm -hmm. may. So we're talking about this idea of sexism and diversity within the community, um, as well as like different echelons of power and this power dynamic uh, of cancel culture. And one thing that really concerns me is the idea of a mob mentality. So we have cancel culture as this sort of idea, as you've mentioned in your video, as the group holding the individual accountable and stripping them of their social privileges, Mm -hmm. Uh, which in theory sounds great. But what concerns me, especially with someone like Jeffree Star, is their ability to whip up the mob so that they can utilize and weaponize cancel culture against people they don't like, a la, you know, competing influencers Mm -hmm. and he did that last year with james charles Mm -hmm. you know it's how i think about it is with cancel culture i feel like it's a similar discussion like with the red pill and the blue pill like you could either choose to not acknowledge things and just continue to like live in a little bit of like a little internet era of peace and prosperity where you're choosing not to see the evils right in front of you or you could you know red pill it and acknowledge that change needs to be made, which is a much harder and more stressful process. But I feel like cancel culture, and especially with Jeffree Star, after watching Tati's video, it reminds me of something I heard a while ago. There's a third option in the, the pill discussion. It's called the black pill. The black pill is the suicide pill. Oh, don't it's take saying, the black pill. You'll be up all night. Oh, yeah. Oh. Don't take the black pill. <laughs> don't take the black beauty. <laughs> no, I'm so, joking. You can continue. Sorry. I had to shove okay, that joke okay. in. <laughs> so, the black, so the black pill is the third option. It's the, it's the only pill out of the two where it does more harm than good. It's actually like poison. It's, it's a fatalistic set of beliefs where it's, it's not acknowledging imperfections and wanting to build from that and wanting to repair it's basically saying, if we have the opportunity to destroy this, we will. 
It's basically saying the system is too flawed. It needs to be destroyed. And on Twitter, you can see people saying, like, just throw the whole community away. That's a little bit of a blackpilling option. And as a viewer, it's less dangerous versus a key figure in the community blackpilling. Because it's like, as Tati said in her video, she thinks he has enough dirt to destroy the entire community. And then she later says, I think he's going to post it. I think he's going to go off in her recent video. So when I saw that, I'm like, this isn't this isn't normal cancel culture. This is the third option being used. This is the black pill. Because cancel culture, it's typically done, you know, you have to destroy the building to build something better in its place. But black pilling is just destroying the building and leaving the rubble on the floor. So that's, I, I definitely think that's an extremely valid concern because I feel that way too. I see this black pill, this third option, this poison pill. I begin to see it creep more and more and more into the potential options here. And I think that's very unhealthy because any situation the black pill is involved in, even within politics, it's never it's never good. Like that's why like terrorists have a black pill mentality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's just pointless destruction without wanting to reconstruct anything. It seems like a byproduct though. So Jeremy and mm -hmm. I discussed this a little bit in our previous episode on counterculture where uh, Jeremy and I have a di differing views on um, the positive aspects of cancel cultures. And one thing I said uh, to play devil's advocate was that cancel culture is a byproduct of people feeling powerless to stop people that have accumulated so much influence and mm -hmm. are not using it with integrity. So yeah, I think that this sort of like burn it all down mentality is a byproduct of just feeling like everything's out of control and they have no power to shift or like, you know, swing the pendulum the other way. Mm -hmm. uh, we see that a lot. I mean, we see it with Black Lives Matter right now. Uh, if we want to go uh, the route of um, like legislation and policing where the police their function is not to protect the people. Uh, their function is, you know, they have a, not to go in on this too much, but, you know, they have a history of racism. They were founded yeah. to police freed slaves. So it's this institution that's very poisonous. Um, yeah. And mm -hmm. people are saying, well, okay, well, we need to dismantle this because mm -hmm. we have no power to change it from the inside out. Um, and I feel a lot of that in the beauty community as well, where people are just saying like, you know, that's a lot of the, the what people have been saying about Tati's video after she spoke her truth is you're all the worst. We, we, like we, you're all, you're all canceled. Like, and mm -hmm. I'm also not sure if that's the best solution because I would hate for people, regardless of how large their platform is to be caught in the crossfire of people that are truly uh, poisonous. So I, I guess uh, if we can steer into this topic, what would you say people can do? Like, what would your advice be to influencers that are being canceled um, in terms of like a way that they can rectify it? Because cancel culture also exists, uh, often exists in this way of like, it's at 100 and then it's at zero. Like you have all of your social privileges and now you have none because you've been canceled. Is there a middle ground? Is there a way of climbing back up? Is there a way of rectifying mm -hmm. mistakes? Mm -hmm. So in I think in the second video I made, I kind of talked about this. Um, there's kind of two different results cancel culture can have because there's the deplatforming option, which is the mm -hmm. most severe. That's the one where they take away the social privileges. And then there's the other one where it's being labeled as problematic. 
And when you do get labeled as problematic, it doesn't really affect that much. And that label can actually fade away very quickly because the more and more we begin to see these horrible allegations surface, the more we realize that problematic isn't really as bad compared to what some people be doing behind the scenes. And Nikita Dragon even tweeted herself yesterday, like, y'all don't realize I'm problematic. I'm I'm so problematic that I'm actually not problematic. She's like, I label myself as problematic, so you don't have to do it for me. Well, it's a very I, Trumpian thing, though, isn't it? It's like, I am so pro problematic that, like, you're just going to become... Like, you've talked a lot about sort of the idea of this community being like a body and having an immune system. And it's like, mm -hmm. well, when you're constantly being attacked, you're just going to gain an immunity. Your body's not even going to notice that it's sick anymore. Mm -hmm. And I feel like influencers have started to use this to their advantage. Mm -hmm. And... I think with this problematic label, though, we have to be careful because I feel like that's where a majority of the toxicity can come from. Because if you think about it, like people will oftentimes label someone like Manny MUA as problematic. But what has he actually done? And when I think about it, I think they label him as problematic because they're looking for a reason simply just not to like him. But they can't find one. So they do you, just say, do you oh, feel similarly with uh, James Charles? Yeah, I feel like people who don't like him will just use that label when in reality it's like if you analyze it there's really nothing there it's it's like we could you know I made a whole I made probably an hour's worth of content about the reasons why Jeffree Star we need to have a discussion about that and I'm sure other people are talking about all the horrible things Shane Dawson has done that's a deplatforming conversation where the conversation with Manny MUA James Charles all that it's like in comparison to this, it's a little bit nitpicky. And the result is basically just the label problematic. And I feel like that label just gives people a reason to say, oh, I don't like him personally. Because when you call someone problematic, you're not saying their actions are problematic. You're saying they themselves are problematic. So it's basically like ammunition to basically say, oh, I don't like him. Why? Because he's problematic. But when you ask to elaborate, realistically, it's never a clean result. Right. Now, with someone like Jeffree Star, for example, mm -hmm. um, who has had a lot of issues in the past, you mentioned like sort of uh, it being kind of like archaeology that you were doing in terms of exposing these details of his life and his behavior. Um, I wonder if that's enough. And uh, what would your advice be to people within the community that are that are the viewers that are uh, taking in the entertainment and the information as opposed to the influencers. Um, because, yeah, I mean, it's it's good to have this information so we can make an educated choice of who we support. But then what? Like, we, we it, I, I worry that people are just going to get whipped up into a frenzy, but the next time Shane Dawson releases a new documentary video, people are going to watch it anyway. Like, what are the... Um, the resources that people in the community to have to really, you know, put these people's feet to the fire? Is it boycotting? What What is your position on that? Okay, so I think the whole purpose of cancel culture is really a reclamation of the viewer's power. Like a lot of people think simply viewing something is just you're getting entertainment, but it's like your view get, enables these people to have these yeah. social privileges and social power. It's like, I feel like people need to realize the power they have as a viewer and it's okay to have their own opinions even if they're against some people and that was kind of the moral 
And I feel like that's kind of a moral of this drama Gadden is it's okay to have your own opinions. A lot of people may label you as hateful, but you know yourself. You know if right. you don't come from a place of hate, you know that just something's wrong. Like before this, a lot of Jeffree Star stands would if you just tweeted this under his tweet or if you posted this in the comments, you would be attacked. Whereas now it's like, oh, this is very interesting. Let's have a discussion about it. Right. I feel like, you know, we we're in a situation where the truth is potentially hazardous to some people. And I feel like we as viewers have a right to find our own information and not just accept the information we're being spoon fed by the person, by the benefactor. And I, and I feel like it would be different if it's just like not benefiting them at all. Like it doesn't matter. But the thing is, is like, look at, like, look at what the viewer support has gotten Jeffree Star. He has how many houses, how many cars it's like, and what could he be doing with that money? That's potentially harmful. And yeah. one person, um, uh, tab David, who, um, made a video about this recently too. He was one of Jeffree Star's old friends. He says that Jeffree Star hired a, an ex-cop that was fired for doing something racist on the job. And he specifically wanted that cop from Miami, Florida. And he wanted him to be a security guard. So it's like, to me, I think about it and I'm like, wow, when you spend money or when you, when you spend money on Jeffree Star lipsticks or when you give him your view, right. that's what he's doing with your support. It's kind of, yep. it would be different if it didn't matter, but this, it, it really does matter because your view is enabling these people to continue doing this stuff. So I feel like definitely boycotting brands as well as calling other brands to cut ties because realistically, we want to make sure this individual who's misusing their privileges that we give them, we want to make sure that doesn't happen again. But and if it and if we think it might, then just take away the privilege. Right. I think it's economic. Sorry, everyone. Yeah, I, no, go I, for I, it. Uh, this is economic activism, right? This is exactly, what I yeah. really appreciate is that um, like today, today is July 7th and there's like a, an economic black day like a blackout, economic blackout in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. And I'm not spucking, I'm not spucking a fucking, pardon my French, I'm not <laughs> spending a fucking dime and I'm kind of like steering away from social media for the rest of the day because it's a day of reflection, right? We're mm -hmm. literally talking about, again, like we're all, we're all educated in the ways of economics to the basis where you're talking about followers, which equal either on social media or the reality of they are consumers as well. And consumers and brands and brand loyalty and being part of this journey that you take with people now. Now, the interesting thing is, and I hope I won't swing too far afoot, but in, in drag and then television drag, the story is that drag has been underground. Right. And then mm -hmm. drag is this amazing art form that includes the beauty right community and the cre and the creative performing arts community, dance communities, comedy communities, musician communities. And then they are generally in the queer spectrum. So this these crazy underground clowns that have now gotten on uh, uh, on television, on social media, they have their own makeup brands. They have. Uh, hour-long shows where they're letting you into various aspects of their life or at least into their worldview, this is really powerful in our community. So now when uh, drag queens are getting canceled, to me, this is what really rattled me. And Sam knows, and I will go yeah. on the record of saying, it's like I was concerned about some of the things that Liam 
was saying because some people I I know in the drag community are are shit kickers, and some of them have gotten better over the years, and they they're either have. Uh, verbally made amends or they have become better people but the problem is that with a platform comes a confusion and almost a psychological distortion of vulnerability right we're getting down into mm -hmm. some deep shit here are you as are you as decent and real a person on camera or have you sold lies have you sold things that aren't aren't truly you or are you trying to be a good person on YouTube and social media but you're a shitty white privileged person who was never really good to begin with and just decided that they wanted the masses money for their American dream you know what I mean I'm going yeah. in real deep but I think I hear you resonate with this Liam which is why like I had I had some concerns about the way you were arguing for cancel culture but I think the what we're also talking about is that we're all compassionate people here and that there is a spectrum of restoration right like if if these people are fucking racist bastards and they to this day they're sitting up in their in their high homes with their security guards and their and their racism and their bullshit, we're in we're in full f blown fucking revolution mode, and these people need to be exiled. So if cancel culture is one element of that, then fine. The truth is whether people are going to be vulnerable and humble, like I'm reading about in White Fragility, where there is a learning curve and a humility curve and a conversation and accountability curve. So that's what I'm really glad we're, we're um, really bringing up these things because it has really, you know, some people may think the beauty community is just like some sort of off thing for, for people who just, or it's self-expression, which is great, but people may make a hierarchical thing that's kind of at the bottom compared to politics and Black Lives Matter, but I don't want to make that argument. I want to say that like, we're all learning how to deal with some really big things through the communities that we're involved in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I feel like a recommendation, because I've spoken to a few influencers too about this. My biggest thing, one pattern I notice is you can actually avoid a huge scandal from happening if you address it yourself without being forced to do it. It's like you, if you hold yourself accountable, people won't have to do that for you. And I feel like if some, if you, because the way the internet works is one little negative comment with an ounce of truth in it will eventually become 12. And then that 12 will eventually become 100. And that right. 100 will eventually become 1,000. It's like, as soon as you see that first comment, address it and do it in a way where it's like, I care about this issue. That's why I want to talk to you about it. Don't fall into this trap where it's like, oh, I'm talking about it because I'm forced to now. It's like, that's like the difference between what Jenna Marbles did versus what Shane did right. that, you know, Jenna Marbles held herself accountable without being forced to that shows a lot of maturity because when you aren't afraid to confront your past, it shows growth. But when you're hiding from it and trying to lull it, it shows the opposite. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I feel like what she did that shows growth because when you're forced to talk about something, it's a very valid question to say if if we weren't up your ass about everything do you do you really care this much about it you know this person you're watching could be sitting in front of their camera crying begging for forgiveness but would they have done that 
even though they knew if it was the wrong. mob wasn't outside the White House of exactly. their platform. Mm-hmm. Would they be able to hold themselves accountable, or are they just doing this to keep what they've achieved safe? Yeah. No, I think that's a really interesting point, too. Um, I think um, Jeremy and I were talking about this earlier. Um, it, would that be like your recommendation for how? Because I, I, I'm going to play devil's advocate here and say that there is like an entertainment factor to drama. Oh, and definitely. A lot of Amazing. people <laughs> desire to get, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, get whipped up in the hysteria because it's, you know, group mom mentality. And with what Jeremy was saying, there are people out there, their whole careers are on the line and their livelihood. And I worry about people being canceled unjustly or being canceled without being given the opportunity to uh, really explain themselves because of um, the aspects of cancel culture that surround entertainment value. Mm-hmm. So I, one of my favorite YouTubers, ContraPoint, said this, so I'm mm-hmm. going to credit her for saying this. She said, cancel culture, in a way, is like the modern-day guillotine. You know, you don't, like, they didn't guillotine Marie Antoinette in private. They did it. It was a spectacle. You know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's a little bit, like, given the internet is such a public place and YouTube is an extremely large platform, when something like this happens out in the open so publicly it's definitely going to gather a spectacle. Like, people are going to want to spectate. And I feel like, like Shane in his apology said, oh, if y'all don't like the drama, who are you going to watch? But if you think about it, he used the drama to his advantage and got a lot of views to it. So it's like, I feel like there's this interesting thing here. You know, we all spectate the drama and we all inadvertently feed into it while we also find it distasteful, you know? Yeah, 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 and that's a, that's a, like an interesting uh, thing that at least I am very interested in knowing about because one of the conversations of there was a little bit of conversation about this beforehand is that like I don't like that you know like I I I I stand on this weird biographical journey of having like not had a television since two thousand three and like being so in and out of internet culture i'm also in my late 30s so i think there's a generational thing where like i i have this weird uh this this weird like this like it's a it's a dark shadow thing it's like well what if the internet just got unplugged where would we be left if some government right like what Mm -hmm. is the power of the internet because it is so volatile it's like that little comment i made it's like what is the upside down where do where do we go (laughs) with all of our lives if because that's what i mean i really like like i had i haven't i've had enough drama biographically working in the drag world to last me for a few lifetimes like i've seen enough stupid shit go down due to drunkenness or or people getting into their oats or like the reality of nightlife people do People are alcoholics. They do drugs. They do things that I don't find okay. Sometimes I've participated in it, and sometimes I've shut my mouth. And sometimes I said, you're a fucking asshole, and you need to shut the fuck up because you've gone over the line. So this is a weird thing about at least my personal corner of my career and the people I've gotten to know, you know? Mm -hmm. 
So it's so complicated, and all I want is for people to be real. And if you are a decent person, then you've got it. And, like, show us you're a decent person, and anyone who's not a socio-psychopath and has empathy, we, we some of us will take that journey of, uh, you know, all-stars uh, redemption Mm-hmm. With yes, you. maybe if we're all lucky, we'll get on a season of All Stars, and we'll have our <laughs> redemption. Oh, I don't know. We aren't going. We aren't going to turn that corner to talk about the tea of of <laughs> of the All Stars. So so much. <laughs> That's enough drama to last me last me for weeks, and it's weekly. Okay. Um, so Liam, um, yes, I have. Well, I mean, I have several questions for you. That's what this <laughs> podcast is all about. <laughs> um, but so you know, as we are getting into our 45 minute mark. Um, mm-hmm. What are your hopes? Because you've, you've mentioned that one of the reasons you wanted to do this expose is that you care about your community, the community that you're part of, the YouTube beauty community, and you want to see people be accountable and you want to uh, not have the most toxic represent the community as a whole, which I think is extremely admirable. So right now we're in the midst of, I believe what people are calling Carmageddon, mm-hmm. um, what is your hope for how this is all going to shake out? Like, what is your best case scenario? Like, what you wish uh, this situation sort of accumulates into? Um, and then, um, do you do you have um, an expectation of like, what's your idyllic version of the end of events, and what's your realistic version of the end of events for this sort of what's happening right now in your community? Okay, so going back to the thing I talked about earlier with the black pill. There's like an antidote to that. It's called the white pill. It's like a, it's something that's said in slang terms, especially on Reddit, but the white pill is basically just hope and optimism. When someone ha- when you have a fatalistic set of beliefs saying, oh, just throw, throw the whole community away, destroy everything and just leave it. The white pill is basically acknowledging that things are so bad that you can't just red pill, but the white pill cures the black pill because it's understanding that you kind of need to throw some things away, but it's also, but it's doing it in a way where you're making progress slowly while acknowledging the imperfections and fixing everything you can. It's basically hope and optimism as opposed to the pessimism in statements like, oh, just throw the whole community away. You know, are you going to throw the whole batch of apples away just because of a few bad apples? Right. It's like, you know, I was... I'm really hoping people will begin to kind of white pill themselves and really acknowledge like maybe the whole community isn't rotten, but certain parts of it are. So are we going to cut those parts out before it spoils the rest and replace it with something better? And my honestly hope for all of this is I really hope that the beauty community eventually we get to a point where it's basically like a refresh button, like a reset, like all these top influencers are kind of recycled. Like we really need new blood in the community. And I feel like there's so many talented individuals who are smaller influencers right now, where it's like, I really hope that, you know, there can be a cycle of change that occurs. It's like, you know, the average lifespan for a YouTuber, at least me, at least their careers to me is like five years. We're getting at that five year mark. Like YouTube, the entity, the platform, you know, it needs new blood. And I feel like the beauty industry wasn't always Jeffree Star and James Charles. You know, before that, it was Michelle Phan and, you know, all these other people that aren't here anymore as much. They used to be at the top. Now they're not really here. And I feel like my goal 
for this is we really need to have a healthy transition into potentially the next phase of the community or the platform. It's like what happened, you know, Michelle Fawn, she basically, I don't know if she passed the torch per se, but, you know, that was a very smooth transition, so smooth that we don't even acknowledge it happened. Mm. I feel like we need to create an environment where that transition can happen now, where the torch can be passed from people. I don't want to say we're done with, because that sounds kind of mean, but like people where it's like, okay, we're kind of done with Jeffree Star. We need to kind of move on from that into bigger and better things. You know, it's like, it's it's kind of that mindset. Don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. You know, Jeffree Star definitely had a huge impact on the global standard of beauty and the way people accept LGBT and like non-binary people because yeah. he does, he is kind of a little bit androgynous, non-binary himself. It's like, it. I feel like my hope is that we can usher in a new age where no one is really, like no one is just abruptly stopped. I want it to be like a smooth transition into something better. Do you think that can happen organically or do you think um, with what's happening right now uh, with people being exposed and canceled, do you think it needs, I guess I'll use your sort of medical terminology, Does it, do you think it needs medical intervention to get to that point? I definitely do. And I feel like drama channels play a key role in this. It's like Jeffree Star on his Twitter one time when someone was commenting like, oh, I don't understand why people are doing this. He responded and then immediately after deleted it, he said, their goal is to get me to hurt myself again. And it's like, that to me is a very, it's, it's a huge red flag. Um, he's since deleted that tweet. But what that says to me is I would rather die or hurt myself than be deplatformed. So wow. I feel like this is, this is definitely different than a lot of other situations where the transition of being the figurehead, the transition of power was smooth. For example, Tyler Oakley, he used to host the streamies, you know, every single year, but he doesn't anymore. And it wasn't because he was canceled. Everything was burned down. You know, it was just because things changed. And I feel like in this environment, people are clinging to things with their life, clinging to their titles, when in reality, the community, the community clearly wants something new. You know, the whole imagine how tired we are meme. It's like, if you think about it, it's like the community is putting such a resistance because we want something new. It's not because we particularly despise everything about the old community, but it's because we feel like we need to move on from it and we need to get dip our toes into something new, something potentially unexplored and something we could all benefit from by giving, you know, by passing the torch to someone else. But to, uh, we're in... oh, oh, sorry, sorry. I'm so sorry. I just want to jump in really quickly because, mm -hmm. um, one thing that concerns me, and then I'll totally give you uh, the floor, Jeremy, because I'm sure there's things that you want to ask as well before we start to wrap up. But yeah. my concern is that, like, the devil is in the sauce. Like, what mm -hmm. if we deplatform someone like Jeffree Star? Who is to say that, you know, someone who's up and Just coming is not going to become the next another one? Another corporate virus, another wolf in sheep's pajamas comes because we, you know, we've talked about people at the top and they they have legal teams and they're always doing these demographics, you know. So like in the, I'm playing this like revolutionary, revolutionary devil's advocate. It's like because everything you all have been saying, it goes for all so many other communities just again mm -hmm. it's like we're reflecting on 
the way that we want transparency and that we want more democracy in something like the internet yeah. and in social media and specifically YouTube. But it, the the responsibility is is that we learn to kind of deprogram some of our again some of these isms, these capitalisms, these ageisms, these these things that we all we all have at various levels that we we want our world to look a certain way, and that we shake off maybe one of these things that we know isn't like our best, and then we open and are a little curious, you know, maybe I. I want to get into back to what you both were saying, but th this is also like a time for us to self-reflect on like what's driving it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You know, I feel like the beauty community is so interesting because like you said, it does parallel a lot of other things. And it's a, it's a really big question of almost, I, I don't want to say anthro, but it's a big question of sociology it's like there's a lot of patterns here that hidden patterns that people don't see like the it's it's I in the next video I'm posting according to Talcott Pearsons, which is the American sociologist that pretty much defines religion his definition of what makes a religion a religion is still used today stan culture meets all of the requirements in some oh, yeah. in one way or another it's like there are so many patterns here people don't see and I think by acknowledging these patterns it's interesting to see how people's perspectives will change. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cult like. Um, I'm personally like very into researching things like Scientology and uh, those oh, yeah, types definitely. of cults of personalities. And there are so many parallels with different communities, uh, especially the way that people excuse the behavior of those of the figureheads. Definitely. I feel like with influencers too, the big thing is we need to make sure the next people we put up on the pedestal to represent us as a community or to be the figureheads of the community, I feel like we need to make sure they have a healthy relationship with the internet. Because mm -hmm. if you read through some of Jeffree Star's old blogs, and I hate bringing him up all the time, but he is, you know, pretty much our case study of this. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, if he's you, inspired the whole series. So yeah, yeah. If you if you read his old blog posts, you can tell this person clearly from the get go has a very unhealthy relationship with the internet. It's like, it's it's he talks about like how manipulating websites and, you know, basically going after people's personal information on the internet is just like his hobby. It's so fun it's for him. Yeah, it's a game. It's a game and like... he knows that he knows how to play it and he plays it well to succeed in what, in his own endeavors. Yeah, um, exactly. But there, is, I... but there isn't a level of uh, humility or morality behind it. I, there's an old saying, I'm not going to say it correctly, but like in terms of accumulating wealth, you can do it one of two ways. You can accumulate wealth, create a product that people like, charge a fair price, or you can step on everyone's toes and claw your way to the top and don't matter who gets caught in the crossfire of you climbing the ladder. And it seems like Jeffree Star was Does willing to do anything to get ahead. Exactly. I feel like going forward, we definitely need to be careful who we idolize, but also we need to make sure these people have a healthy relationship with the internet. Because personally, for me, my biggest thing is, I don't. it's one of my pet peeves, but I feel like to me, it's a sign of an unhealthy relationship with the internet is when people quote unquote, like flex, when they're like, oh, look at all my cars, look at all my purses. It's like, I feel like that shows a little bit of an unhealthy relationship because it's like, what are you trying to prove? You know, mm -hmm. I definitely feel like, you know, it's like 
I think of influencers when I watch them because realistically, like when you watch a makeup tutorial, most of the time you're watching it alone in your room. It's like, would I want to be friends with this person in real life? Would I want to support them in real life based on what I'm seeing? Because if what you're seeing seems like a character, maybe it is just a character. And you have to be careful because the person behind that character might be something different. Yeah. Well put. Yeah. And um, I know we're, uh, we're coming close to the end. And I just want to, again, um, thank Liam. We have a little more time, and I don't want to shut things off at all too quickly. But what's going on here, as for me playing the big picture watcher from from my observational perspective, is that, like, we've got some deep programming, which the Internet is reflecting on our reification and deification of people who get a little farther than us and then we are deconstructing how they get there and then whether we want to continue with them. And I just want to really like, right, um, notice and give a moment to say like, this is deep, like whatever culture we come from, this is, this has been going on for hundreds and even thousands of years. Our cultures have, uh, gods and goddesses that we used to follow before Christianity, then Christianity came and powered through, and then we have this monotheistic deity at the top of a pyramid, and then modern capitalism came along 500 years ago, and then the successful people were deified. Yeah. And so now we're going, 2020 is, we're like, why the fuck are we deifying almost anyone when all of us, uh, when we really apply ourselves and we go through the struggle and we and we uphold e- and support each other's real stories of the struggle of being human we don't need these fucking deities anymore and so deities are going down left and right jeffrey stars rupaul's on blast for fracking uh and and for being above it all right we could just name anyone in the various communities who's like you don't want to be human when, with us you actually think you're a fucking deity and that the rules go different well Fuck off. We we are people with some critical acumen and we don't need you and we will cut you off financially and socially. And that's what happened in the French Revolution. That's what's happened in revolutions all over the world. So, mm-hmm. again, I want to, like, really emphasize the possible, very powerful potential of deprogramming ourselves from deification and unhealthy fan stand. Like, I don't even use the word stand because I think it's creepy. I'm also mm-hmm. in my late thirties, but it's like, <laughs> why are we? Why are we? Like the power of words. Why are we perpetuating creeper, creeper? Like, oh yeah, totally. Like I'm totally just like, you know, like I wanted to find some biographical information about Liam, but she's she's a famous internet star, but she doesn't have a Wikipedia yet. So now I'm in closing. Like maybe you could tell us your story. Like what oh, got sure. you to makeup. What are you studying? Like, what's your what's your dream and passions are in the world that combine your eloquence and your knowledge with your like sassy makeup doing uh, uh, unicorn personality? I'd mm-hmm. love to just know Ooh, more, that. like That's how you how you got here, because my point is the stories are powerful. When we know the story, we don't deify you; we just respect you as someone who knows what they want and got to a place because they have a passion for it. Yeah. People stop seeing you as an image and they start seeing you as a person. Yeah. 
So I pretty much got into makeup from RuPaul's Drag Race season six, the best season. Um, Ooh, I, I can't oh, tell that to like my that. housemate. Oh, Ooh. shit. Pew, pew, pew. Pew, pew, pew. Um, but yeah, I pretty much got into makeup from Drag Race season six back when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, and, you know, I was kind of watching makeup tutorials and kind of self-teaching myself. And then I was invested in the beauty community right as James Charles was becoming a thing, like right when he began doing his CoverGirl mascara ad. Like that was pretty much like right at the time I started doing makeup. So that's kind of where my obsession with makeup started. And Career-wise, I'm not too sure at this point because I've always been loving, like, the behind-the-scenes work and things like that, like the film industry and stuff. I went to um, a tech-focused a tech focused magnet school for high school. It wasn't a private school. It was free, but it was, like, you know, one of those bougie ones. Um, you know, I, I was always really interested in animation and vi- visual effects artistry. And even in middle school, I was part of the stage crew. Like, I was the person behind the scenes doing that stuff. You know, I've, I'm not really a person that likes to be in the spotlight. I don't mind it because I feel like I I, I just don't even acknowledge crowds. I just act like I'm talking to myself because I talk to myself all the time. But um, career-wise, I'm not sh- not too sure what I want to do at this point. But I really feel doing – I really like doing this because I enjoy making these kinds of videos. But also, I like seeing the impact they have on people because people tell me these things, like you said, they're so much larger – and even though I'm just talking about, you know, gays and gals on the internet, this these theories in sociology are just that. They're so much larger than this, and they can be applied. And in a way, I'm kind of teaching people these mechanisms that are at play here on the internet. Because one thing I've noticed when I'm actually looking at the stuff, because I just kind of started looking at things this way, like maybe within this past year, history repeats itself, but it does so in a way where you don't realize it happened until it's just that history. So You're I feel in like the middle of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like we're in the middle of something that is following a pattern. Like yeah. something within human sociology that a theories apply to and it's like it's just the internet is so new within these past 20 years we haven't yeah. really realized the implications it has yet and we're beginning to see the very real impacts and effects the internet can have on society like look at the president he was elected because of the power of the internet mm. it's like we're really beginning to see the power of the internet and how sa- actually sacred it is to our modern day and one thing i notice is like within my anthro courses we discuss like why deities are a thing the first deities were things involving weather and food, you know, things necessary, things idolized, you know, like weather yeah. and food, like sustenance. Then when there was job specialization in Greece, for example, ancient Greeks, um, they had Dionysus, gods of pleasure, gods of wine, gods of things that weren't necessarily food and agriculture, but were things of pleasure. Now our modern day, our modern day deities have one thing in common, money. Mm. We deify money. Money is our new sustenance. It's what we as a collective species are obsessed with. It's no longer food and weather and survival or alcohol and pleasure and all that. It's money. We're obsessed with more and more and more money, the opulence, the overwealth of everything and the power of money. To me, that's, that's one thing everyone we idolize has in common is the money. Yeah. Sounds like a plague, though, girl. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds like a plague. Because, like, I would like to argue that as someone who's, like, 
who hasn't totally entwined and borgified with the internet because when I was 22 in 2003, the internet was clunky. Yeah. And, like there's still something. And even nowadays, I think hopefully there will be a, like a swing and turn that like whether it's a fetishization or a realization that like the time we have as human beings with one another is also sacred and precious and coming yeah. to a dynamic balancing of of the internet as something powerful and the real conversations and love and relationships that we have with each other as equally power powerful i totally i totally understand i get what you're saying so like i think because like as like a countercultural hippie queer who learned that like money and power and privilege it tends to be a really poisonous and intoxicating elixir mm. and i've watched people who went from two digits in their bank account to six digits in their bank account simply ex simply exponentiate the things that were already there like being a being a being a moody alcoholic or being a generous uh being a, a generous community oriented person those things still existed when yeah. their bank accounts changed but mm -hmm. the problem is the kind of weird hallucination of on camera off camera being deified the expectations of celebrity like that's why it's like oh girl i don't care how much money you have i think i took some sort of red pill where like kardashians mean nothing to me the royal family means nothing to me as humans i respect them as souls but like i think i'm old enough to have not bought into that which is why like the the concerns you're talking about are really powerful i care about the things you were talking about like is this person being authentic with me because if i put my money and my energy into them i want to feel like there's actually a community here. Yeah. I do I do not I do not deify almost anyone except I don't know maybe Annie Lennox, Tracy Chapman and at this point like anyone who has the great wisdom of intersectional activism <laughs> and mm -hmm. I don't even like overly deify them. These are human beings who have and haven't been listened to who I can learn from. So it's still a communal thing which is a thing I think I learned from not like having these very capitalistic, ruthless, like you were talking about, stepping over other people to have some sort of big, rich and famous thing. And then I see what a version of that does to people. So I mm -hmm. want to thank you, Liam. You're it's very, you're very uh, articulate. And I'm very happy that uh, you and I'm sure your supportive community are all talking about and really trying to create a space where like the internet as powerful as it is still manages to do this paradoxical thing where we become friends and human and connected and work through these things, especially when we're on it so much because of COVID and mm -hmm. with so many things happening where we have to start hearing each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, I feel like the way you can have a healthy relationship with the internet is definitely balance. It's like, Everything, I hate saying everything should be done in moderation because I'm sure many, many people say that, but. It's hard. <laughs> um, but the, like you said with money, money doesn't heal. Money amplifies. It, what it, and I feel like money is such a sacred object to us nowadays, the fact that we deify it so much. It's like, I feel like our icons are just going to continue to follow a certain higher pattern the pattern yeah. with the money and the power with the opulence. 
I feel like that's going to continue until there's a shift away from the money we, I'm sorry, the power we place in money. Because there's this weird expectation that automatically when someone gets money, their life improves. When in reality, when someone gets money, sure, they can solve some of their problems, but they're going to have new problems. And yeah, more money, amplify. more problems. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. a, deep, a deep, wise quote. Mm-hmm. Money doesn't heal. It amplifies. It's the catalyst to many, many things. That can be good or bad. It really just depends. But people, we have this strange bias nowadays where we think money is just so powerful and so like this like almost like modern day magic when you have money yeah. you can grant oh, wishes right. the yeah. total cure for blah mm-hmm. blah yeah mm-hmm. we yeah. think like when you have money you can grant wishes and you can do all these magical things when in reality money is just money <laughs> well it actually it's very not to belabor the point but i think that's a perfect um representation of why jeffree star is so deified because he blatantly shows his wealth and he's mm-hmm. almost like a like a magician like look i have a lamborghini and my mm-hmm. big i live in a my giant, money and i live in a giant anything castle. i want yeah exactly right. and it's and that show of wealth creates this almost uh like godly force mm-hmm. that you have it's- over people it's the same reason why humble the humble beliefs in Christianity are there. But when you go into a cathedral, it's so opulent and everything's painted Opulence. in gold. Opulence. Sorry. Opulence. <laughs> you know oh, I mean? oh, oh, girl. You just did that historical tea, which I'm so into. It's like, yeah. So, like, Christianity, you seem to be about humility and loving your neighbor. When it came right down to it, these kings and queens of medieval Europe were totally helping put out these truly opulent things. And, you mm-hmm. know. We and especially us, uh, we who we who are white to any extent, that weird relationship we have with imperialism and colonialism and opulence is kind. It's kind of a sickness. Mm-hmm. Kind it's, of a sickness. Yeah, and contrapoints brought this up in one of her videos too. Opulence is the aesthetic of having everything. It's it creates this weird heaven on earth kind of environment where like almost like magic can exist, and it's strange because it's like we can see that in almost everything like also within jewelry how like what you said about the imperialism thing the highest quality gemstones and materials are called imperial so imperial jade is one of the most valuable stones in the entire planet and imperial sapphire imperial ruby imperial topaz and those labels are there because the most opulent things are associated with the most powerful and i feel like by showcasing that you have everything our minds are programmed to say, oh, this person has so much opulence, so they must be higher, they must be royalty, they must be, you know, they must be magical in a way. Just like when you walk into a church, you see everything is gold and marble. It's like, wow, this is a modern, it's a modern, like, uh, way of, what's the word? It's elevating. uh, Um, It's, yeah, uh, but it's a glamour, like a glamour Mm -hmm. has, um, like, historical and literary connotation of like literally you're putting a spell on something you're putting a glamour on some someone they are seeing things in the way that you want to see them when really like the like 
you know, the gold is just a, a pile of rocks, you know? Oh. Mm -hmm. And that's it, a deep that... literary, socio-political, cultural theme. Like, how are we being glamorized? That's really real. Yeah. It's the same reason why Donald Trump's apartment looks like you gave Donatella Versace an architecture degree. It's like <laughs> why everything is gold, everything is Rococo, the floors are gold marble. It's, it's not because he likes those things. It's because he likes what they say about him. Yes. He likes the opulence. What they represent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So to sort of start wrapping up, because I actually really like ending on this point, and I think it mm -hmm. goes back to our theme of like, how can we break the spell? How can right. we as a community, as a beauty community, as a larger community, as a queer, queer community, communities, break queer the spell yeah. of these people that have uh, architecturalized their lives to uh, mystify us and glamorize, uh, like glamour us, uh, and create a community that has more accountability a that cult. isn't under cults of, of the glamorization of dot dot dot. Yeah. Mm hmm. I definitely feel like things won't change until we're presented with a new option. Right. I feel like one of the only points Shane had in his apology was if we're not here, who are you going to watch? That's a very good mm -hmm. question. It's like there needs to be a replacement. Or there needs to be something else being offered in order for this huge shift to occur. You know, there has to be something else that people kind of fetishize. We have to shift away from the the worship of money into worship of something else. In my opinion, hopefully, one day we can move into worship of things like creativity. We can yes. we can instead look at symbolic values as opposed to material values. Something carved will eventually will get to a society. It also has to do with economics and rarity and, you know, wealth and indifference and stuff. It, you know, hopefully my goal is we can shift a little bit away from the mindset where something carved in gold, so a bad statue made of gold is going to be less valuable than a good statue made of wood, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, right. hopefully we can all begin to see the symbolic meaning in things and place value in that as opposed to the material. Oh, I really like that. That's a beautiful, yes, beautiful place a, to stop. I'm drinking some. Oh, thank I'm you. Drinking some deep no, tea I love it. I'm gonna steal that. The, Leo, the uh, statue made of bad statue made of wood, or good statue made tea. of wood versus bad statue made of gold. Right. God just damn like, it. Right. Like that's what? some deep Ooh, shit. Like I always think great. about. I think about that BuzzFeed, um, that BuzzFeed show where they like taste test foods at a oh different price point. Oh my god, I hate it. It's like. I $1 know, like manicure versus ten thousand. It's like, give me a break. Yeah, like the one where they eat the food, though. That one is the one I always think about because it's like they'll eat this like a dollar bagel, and they'll be like, "Wow, that's pretty good." Like it's homemade, whatever. Then they'll eat a bagel covered in gold, and the end result is always the same. It's just <laughs> the bagel. And I feel like that's a result of our fetish fetishization with money. And in a way, it's distasteful and almost offensive because that ten thousand dollars you spent on a bagel could be used to pay someone else's medical bills. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, I feel like even though it's just a bagel covered in gold, that's where the disappointment comes from. You get this kind of weird feeling knowing that something like that exists because we live in a time of honestly a lot of shortage. Like a lot of people don't have what they need. Yeah. So until we get to a point where everyone's covered, everyone's got what they need, everyone's happy, that bagel and that bagel covered in gold won't simply be a bagel covered in gold. It'll be a representation of something yeah. far more sinister. 
And wow. hopefully, as we grow, hopefully, as we grow as a community and as a society, we can transition for, from uh, putting people on platforms because of what they have versus uh, instead putting people on platforms versus uh, for what they do for the community and how they use their privilege to help everyone. So I guess that's my personal hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Liam, we love you. Thank oh, you so I love much. you guys too. Yes, you are a full-blown internet we... warrior witch on the move. <laughs> oh yes. my God, thank she, you so she, much. She, she, she just, you know, can... never just beauty, never beauty. Yes. Beauty and beauty and getting getting them beasts out of the internet no and we appreciate that you have so much passion for your community and are seeking not just to um because i feel like a lot of people and i'm not saying that you're part of the drama community you made that clear in your video that that's not what your video was about but Mm -hmm. a lot of people um criticize those types of creators for capitalizing on things that are just happening in the community and it's really good to see that you have such a deep-rooted passion for taking care of your community and making sure that it's accountable and that it grows and that doesn't end up in a big ball of smoke and flames. And I, for that, we salute you. Oh, thank you so much. I, salute, I salute, also... salute, salute, salute. I, I stole that from another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I, I also... Um none of the videos involving this stuff on my channel were monetized, so they don't make any money. In fact, the latter one... Uh, all of the AdSense was, I'm sorry, not AdSense, all of the revenue from the affiliate links was being donated to Color for Change. Yeah. So it's like, so it's like, I'm, I'm in no way trying to capitalize off of any of this. I'm just trying to kind of start a discussion because I kind of find, I don't want to say I find it entertaining, but I think this discussion could be very beneficial and enjoyable if done correctly. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And also um, productive rather than destructive. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, where can people find you if they want to enjoy your wonderful content? Oh, so plug, um, plug away. Okay, I'll <laughs> plug. I'll plug. Um, so my main place I post is my YouTube channel. It's just www.youtube.com/slash Liam McAvoy, and then you can find me on Insta, looks.by.liam. Um, but everything's linked on my YouTube channel, and you know you can just find me there if you want to watch some stuff. <laughs> yes, he not just. Uh, his more uh, beauty community, uh, sociological, anthropological videos, but Liam does incredibly hilarious, they'll leave you in stitches, beauty videos with incredible editing. I really enjoyed your your video talking about like timing, like comedic timing for like putting in these jump cuts and stuff. Very, oh, yes. very cool. So oh, yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, you just don't get enough credit and I'm really glad that your channel is growing because the content that you're producing is really wonderful. And I hope that you can be one of those influencers that rises up um, and hopefully can become the standard that the other uh, people in the community strive for in terms of accountability and creating good content. So, mm-hmm. yay! Yay! yay. She, is, she is one smart fairy, and I'm so, Aww, thank you and so, I'm much. so glad. I'm so glad we were all able to uh, uh, ferry to our highest measures here on a fairly <laughs> queer podcast, Liam. Thank you again so much. Of you course, let those people know your wisdom, girl. You let those internet folks know you're smart as hell. Aw, thank you so much. <laughs> Wonderful. Till next time, we'll see you all later. We'll Bye-bye. see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye now. Bye-bye. <laughs>